listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. One of, my, one of my favorite things to do is say, okay, you, we know you're the right person. We've brought you into this organization and you've demonstrated that you're talented, trustworthy, integrity-filled, confident, self-efficacious, you're motivated. I enjoy working with you. Now what? Manage talent. Train them more. Develop them more. Appraise them. Bring them into a pay-for-performance plan. Make sure that they stay with you and that they grow with you. A person that is super smart and super creative, where would they want to work? And if they were confident, we're going to talk about confidence and self-efficacy today when we move on to individual behavior. What would keep them there? That's what we want to think about as managers trying to design an organization. Today, we're going to talk about how we can attract and how we can retain talented people. We would have to find good ways to attract creative people. We'd have to find good ways to attract talented people. And we'd have to find good ways to bring them in and interview them. And then after we bring them in and interview them, we need to onboard them and train them. And then we need to develop them as employees. So there's a difference between training, which is, hey, let me show you how to use the computer. And on the computer, we use a system called the service program. And on the service program, if you're going to schedule a stop for one of the technicians, here's how you do it. So if I tell you to do that three or four times and you do it once or twice, that's training. But development is now that you've been here for six months or eight months, how can I take you as an individual employee and move you into a prospective managerial employee? How do I teach you soft skills? How do I teach you communication skills? How can I, instead of training you on the computer software, I want to train you on the accounting system so that maybe you can use the computer software to advance the accounting system. So that's development. And what training does is train you for the actual job. What development of the, the staff member does is train them for a future career. So recruiting, hiring, onboarding, training, and developing staff members. Bring them through a human resource management process. Design and application of formal systems in the organization to ensure the effective and efficient, we'll hear those words a lot in management, use of human talent to accomplish organizational goals. Human capital, it's kind of odd to call humans capital. Or resources. Is anyone offended by that? I don't mind it. If you think objectively and if you're thinking from the scientific management perspective, we do have to look at people as a, a, a tool, a, a resource, a advantage, a competitive advantage that we have above our competition. And yes, they're humans. Of course, we get that. We, we care about them and we want them to do well. But at the same time, we want to train them to be more talented, to be more skillful, to be more competitive, to perform at a higher rate. So really they're under our stewardship, our leadership and our management to grow them and make them better. So human capital is the economic value of the combined knowledge, experience, skills and capacities or capabilities of employees. It, it sounds good and some people are like, oh, you know, don't, I'm not an economic machine. But when we're talking about business and we're, when we're contributing towards a free market economy and when we have a, an economic system within our country and, and a business is capable of surviving because of the contributions of people, it's okay that a person seeing yourself as an economic contribution to this company 
and not an economic detriment to this company, I think that empowers it. I think it's a good thing. If you're an asset, which hopefully we all are, and we come into an organization, the next question is if we know we're an asset and we're in this organization, how is the company making me a better asset? How is the company looking at me and training me and developing me into something that can be more constructive, not just for the company, but in my personal life, in my future career? These are things that talented staff members like yourself are gonna to wanna to see in other organizations. What would be some of the things an organization could do to attract you and keep you working? Name some. Benefits, that's great. Compensation. Can they develop me into a, a more of a leadership position? Is there a way for me that if I contribute at this level, that I can contribute at another level? It's gonna take a little bit of effort from the organization, but it's also gonna take a lot of effort from the individual as well. So it's sort of a combination. So benefits, compensation, growth, what else? Recognition, that's a great one. And you have a great attitude, and I'm really proud of you. And I think your future in management and your future in business is gonna be, it's gonna be great. You're gonna go places, your career, your parents are probably very proud of you. How's that make you feel? Does it make you wanna work? Harder? How much did I pay you to work harder by doing that? Did I pay you something? I didn't extrinsically give you anything, but my recognition of you intrinsically helped you perform better. So if we can frame ourselves as staff members within an organization and say, wow, I wish my leader did more of this. And now we're managers. We are managers. We have an opportunity to be the leader we want to be. We're going to be the leader that we want to be led by. That's an amazing thing. So one of the easiest things we can do is just recognize the people for their contributions. I mean, that's really the answer I was hoping for is that if we want to design a creative organization, we have to create a climate or a culture or an environment that allows for creativity, that allows for people to fail, that allows for people to use their imagination. It is, it is capable of being risky. Uh, the people within it are capable of taking risks so that if, for whatever reason, they weren't going to succeed in whatever risky venture they took, they have other ways they can lean on to. The real takeaway of creating an organization is first to do it intentionally and to understand that creating a climate or culture is how an organization becomes creative. And we talked about a lot of different ways we can hire creative people, and then we can design an organization to keep those creative people thinking. I know for me in my trajectory of leadership and management, it was hard for me to recognize the people who were doing a great job because I was constantly focused on the issues and the problems and some of the things that were going wrong within the organization and trying to take care of that, where I, I didn't have as much time to sit down with the people who were doing a good job and say thank you. And as I progressed as a leader, I realized that if I spent more time with the people that were doing a good job, then there will be less issues because they'll continue doing a good job. They'll continue stewarding the company well and continue their positive attitude as opposed to potentially faltering. And then there being some issues from some of the, the people who are doing a good job. These factors as important for competitive success. Human capital, 71% said this is very important for success. Customer relationships, less than human capital. Product and service innovation, 52%. So human capital, 71%, customer relationship, 66 product and service innovation, 52 So what does that say about the importance of human resource management? It's very important, very important. Hiring the right people to become more competitive on a global basis, hiring the right people for improving quality, innovation, and customer service, knowing the right people to retain after mergers, acquisitions, or downsizing, hiring the right people to apply information technology or HRM processes.
It's so great to say that we want to hire and retain and develop good people, but good people is very subjective. So there has to be some objectivity to who we're looking for and why and how they perform within an organization and what we value and what we don't value. But one of the questions that somebody would ask is they'd say on a scale of one to 10, how silly are you? On a scale of one to 10, how, how playful are you? Okay, give me an example of silly. What would you do in your past work environments that would be silly or playful? The basis of what we want in this organization is gonna vary based on the organization you go to. But they have some metrics where some people aren't gonna ask you that question. But when we're managers, we can figure out the type of people we need and we can be more directive or more intentional about getting those people into our company. So find the right people, HR and planning. Here's how many staff members we have. We believe we need to hire two more. But over the next six months, based on the history of our organization, we typically lose about two people every six months. So we should really be looking for four people. And oh, by the way, we're thinking about buying a new factory over in Opalaka or Doral. And in order to staff that factory, we're gonna have to have five people. We're not gonna buy that factory for another eight months. Now over the next nine months, we need four people plus five more. And so on a, in our mind, we gotta say, okay, we gotta have these job analysis, right? We have to understand what are they doing? What are these people gonna be contributing towards? What's gonna be their role? Who are they gonna to report to? How long is it gonna take for us to put the job description out there and find them and bring them in and interview them and, and onboard them? So that takes time. And when you're in human resource management, that planning process is important. Sometimes human resource administrators, that's a lot of what they do. And every single time they go to a, a leadership meeting or an executive meeting, they have to present the plan. What are we doing about our vacancies in the next six months? That person says, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's a spreadsheet. Here's how many staff members we have. Two of them put in a res resignation last week. We're, we're currently looking for three job openings. In two months, we're going to have five more job openings. These are what those openings are going to be. That's the planning process. And that's important to have. Human resource management, you got the recruiting, you got the hiring, you got the onboard training, development, and management. Recruiting is a whole aspect in itself. In order to recruit good people, we have to have a good company. So a lot of times what companies are doing, they're creating a brand for their organization just for potential staff members. So if I sell pizzas and I, I want customers for my pizzas, I'm offering deals, I'm making sure I'm getting in front of my customer segment, I'm advertising towards the customer segment I'm interested in, I'm putting my location around the types of customers I want to purchase from me. That's thinking about the customer. If I'm thinking about the prospective new employees or the people that I want to attract to my organization, maybe I do it differently. Maybe I'm, I'm rebranding my logo. Maybe I'm saying pizza people <laughs> and I'm calling it pizza people initiatives. And the pizza people initiatives plan is to recruit talented, smart, young, ambitious college students out of a local university or local college to come and work for us. And that in itself is a whole campaign to attract talent. It's different than marketing to consumers. You're marketing to prospective employees. They're putting ads out in front of your TV and saying this is a great place to work. If you come and work for Taco Bell, then we're gonna put you through college. They want you to be in their organization, recruiting people as opposed to uh, trying to get customers. But it's kind of interesting how it goes both ways. Because if you're recruiting talent and your, your advertisement about talent 
is a really cool advertisement. And you're talking to the public about how well you treat your staff, how great it is to work there. Isn't that sort of an advertisement for the company too? This is a new phenomenon over the last 10 or 15 years. Now they're, they're advertising for people, good, talented people. And at the same time, the customers are wanting to come to them because they can see that they're a good company. So it's an interesting strategy. So once we have the right people, then we want to maintain an effective workforce. We have to pay them wages and salary, benefits, labor relations. We have to make sure that we, we operate within the legal framework of human resource management. And then unfortunately, we have to have some sort of procedure about how we go about governing governance. It's really regulating. Governance means here's some things we have to do. Thank you so much, Elwing, for working for this organization. We appreciate you being here. Here's how we operate. And if you fall outside of those boundaries or fall outside of those guardrails of operation, we have to govern you back the, the right path. And governance is something that human resource managers do as well. You have to be here at 8 o'clock. You know, we're coming at 8.30, that's fine. But anytime past 8.30, that counts as a late. Or we take 45-minute lunches. You took an hour and a half lunch yesterday. You, we treat people with respect. We don't embarrass people in meetings and three different times sorry to use you as an example you've disrespected and embarrassed people in meetings so we have to govern that if we had these organizations where we had rules and regulations but nobody obeyed them it's just like the law it's just like our society it would run out of control we have to have that in place and that means we have to terminate people one shot two shot three shots you're out every organization is different with how they govern and how they terminate their staff members one of my one of my favorite things to do is say okay you, we know you're the right person. We've brought you into this organization and you've demonstrated that you're talented, trustworthy, integrity-filled, confident, self-efficacious, you're motivated, I enjoy working with you. Now what? Manage talent, train them more, develop them more, appraise them, bring them into a pay-for-performance plan and make sure that they stay with you and that they grow with you. So that's the key to human resource management. The role and value of human capital investments. Career development, reward and recognize, human capital strategy, performance appraisal, recruiting, work, workforce planning, theoretically leads to key performance drivers of productivity, quality, innovation, and customer service, which theoretically leads to business results that results in revenue growth, return on equity, and total return to shareholders. This is the thought process behind if we treat our staff well, they'll treat our customers well, they'll work harder, and if they treat our customers well and they work harder, then as an organization, we're going to grow in revenue. We're going to have better returns. It doesn't always work that way because some organizations, if you're not focused on other things that are important, if you spend too much time here on the human side of it, you could potentially not be selling more or you could potentially not be watching your costs as much. It's really nice to say that we train and develop our staff members. But if that training and development doesn't lead to more productivity, better quality, better innovation, and better customer service, then where's that investment going? Who's paying for that? How does that cost of training and developing, it negatively impacts the ROI of the company if it doesn't produce a return? So there has to be some give and take here. There should be some give and take. And that's not always the case. There are CEOs and there are organizations that do it because it's the right thing to do. They'll go the extra mile for staff members to develop them and they won't necessarily correlate that with returns. Even from an applicable perspective, the goal is and the thought is that it's gonna help you. 
Is it directly correlational? Is it directly cause and effect? Sometimes you might be able to demonstrate that, that, hey, we said to this particular training or this development seminar, and then six months later, he, his sales grew by 15%. And he could say, oh, it's because of what I learned at the seminar. But it could have been because of something else. It could have been because of a multitude of different things. But how can we tell it was from the seminar? Sometimes we can, sometimes we can. And when you're trying to manage people, there's an unfortunate effect of discrimination and stereotyping and groups and subsects of people. Managers focus on an applicant's job skills and performance rather than educational credentials, appearance, or prior experience. And then artificial intelligence is helping with that. Hiring and promoting applicants based on criteria and not job relevancy. So when we, this is a pretty cool thing and it's a new thing, is this blind interviewing process um, or even artificial intelligence helping with the interview process to remove the human biases from our judgments. Or just looking at you makes me not think enough about your application or your your um, ability to perform in the job because I'm distracted by you. Have, I don't like the color blue. Stereotyping and classifying is another thing. Our biases are always going to be there. We can be aware of it. And that's something that the artificial intelligence does as well. But it's the perception and the distractions of what that person can bring to the table if only one person looks at the application. They basically did a test. They're trying to hire somebody for this position. And instead of bringing in 100 people to interview them, they said that we don't want to know anybody that's applying. There is a project that needs to be completed. We want a social media campaign that can attract 3,000 followers in the next two weeks. Anybody can do it. doesn't matter who. The job is open to anybody. The person who can do it and the person that gets the best results is going to be the person that gets the job. They didn't care what the person looked like. They didn't care how old they were. They didn't care what kind of resume they had. It was just about that. So the person that got the job ended up not having a college education. And this was for an organization, like a big organization that was well-equipped. And the CEO said after the fact that if we had gone through the traditional hiring process, there's no way I would have hired her. Even though she's the most capable, the most talented, and the best person for the position. So the purpose of me telling the story is that what are the things that we are unaware of when we sit down and hire somebody? Are we discriminating against them because, of, because they went to some alma mater that we recognize? Or are we choosing the best candidate to fit the job and to perform in the job? So in that process of recruiting and hiring and training, we have to do the best we can of removing some of our, you know, yes, biases, stigmas, stereotypes, schemas, our perceptions, this kind of stuff. The world is moving more towards that. Where if you, again, I always, I like to compare, if you look 30 years ago, you wouldn't get a job in an organization unless you knew someone there, unless your mom was a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, they wouldn't consider you. You would have to know somebody there. Nowadays, it's, it's less so because of the, the voice of staff members and organizations can get in trouble for that kind of stuff. They have to hire the most qualified candidate. They can't discriminate against people. Laws, regulations, recruiting processes, hiring processes, they've changed over the years, which is good and bad sometimes. You know, what if, what if you do have an in at a particular company? I have experience working with organizations or being hired where the person that was hiring me told me to tell other people that I didn't know him because if they found out that I knew him, then I wouldn't get the business. And this happens on boards all the time nowadays because they think that somebody's getting preferential treatment, they're automatically disqualified. But again, 
10, 15 years ago, how I got my job out of college to work for CB Richard Ellis was because of my uncle. It wasn't because I was the most talented or qualified. It was because of my uncle. Nowadays, if, if the person that hired me would have been afraid to hire me because other people would have thought it was because of my uncle. You understand how things are changing and how discrimination could be a factor. The Civil Rights Act, Americans with Disabilities Act, I know a lot about vocational rehabilitation, age discrimination and employment, historically important federal laws related to human resource management. People care a lot about this. And as an entrepreneur, it was scary to me because the employee is very much empowered in a lot of different ways. And so is the person that's on this other side of the interview. Okay, I'll just tell a story. I had an interview one time when I was, must have been 28 years old, 29, and I was looking to hire somebody. And I sat down in the interview and I asked the lady how old she was. And she was like, I don't know how old she was. She was like in her 30s. And she looked at me and she said, you can't ask me that in an interview. I'm like, why not? <laughs> what do you mean? I want to know how old are you? <laughs> and then I, if I wanted to ask, well, do you have any kids? Oh, can't ask that either. If I wanted to ask, well, where do you live? Do you own your house or do you lease your house? Can't ask that either. Have you ever have you ever been arrested? Can't really ask that either. You can say, would you would you be okay with taking a background check? You can say, um, how how long is your commute in the morning? Because we want to make sure that you know your commute's not going to be three hours to work every day. I want to like what general area do you live in? I think I can ask questions like that. So here's the crazy part about it, because if you can sense the type of person I am, I'm transparent, open book. I, I just act, I act like myself. And that got me in trouble in human resources because of the laws, regulations, all this kind of stuff. They had some question in the, which were very telling and revealing to me, really questions about pursuing goals and being ambitious with your career and certain things that I found quite interesting. This questionnaire will give you an idea of your natural orientations towards systematic record keeping. Think about your underlying motivations when doing tasks on a typical day at school or work. Respond to each of the following statements based on whether it's mostly true or mostly false for you. It says, I feel a sense of relief when I do well on a project or exam. The second one says, I focus on getting the details of my work done correctly. The third one says, I feel it is very important to carry out obligations placed on me. Four says, I always try to make my work as accurate and error-free as possible. The fifth one says, for me, it is important not to do things wrong. The sixth one is I think about the focus. I think about and focus mostly on achieving positive outcomes in my life. Seven says I like to finish a lot of work in a short amount of time. Eight says I feel frequently. I frequently imagine how I will achieve my hopes and aspirations. Nine says I feel a sense of joy when I do well on a project or exam. Ten is I am typically oriented towards accomplishing things mostly for my growth and satisfaction. What it, the questions are asking towards whether or not you have a mentality towards prevention focus or promotion focus. And a mentality towards, say, prevention focus is more inclined towards human resource management. Remember all the legal things I just brought up? Human resource management administrators are tasked to cross the T's, dot the I's, make sure things are right, make sure that the files are locked up in a safe place to ensure that they speak to other interviewees and other employees well and don't offend them and let's make sure that we document that these are things that prevent catastrophic things from happening to the organization so if I'm a promotion focused guy and I'm focused more on winning desired outcomes or successes that could be a potential threat or a potential bad thing for promotion focus is in ensuring that the organization does well so if I'm in human resource 
and I'm and I'm thinking just about the organization doing well, I can make a mistake. I could do something that's a little bit too ambitious, like hire a, a crazy person to come work for the organization that may not be as uh, conservative. And unfortunately, in human resources, that's not always a good thing. I found this interesting that in human resource management, and even in this book, they're saying that we we, we need to pre, we need people that prevent mistakes as opposed to the entrepreneurial mentality, which is let's create opportunities, let's leverage opportunities for the benefit of our organization and for ourselves. So if you're inclined towards creating things and, and making things better and promoting the company, promoting resources, whatever that looks like, a career in human resource management might not be a good thing. I don't know if I really agree with that though. If, you, if you're part of a small organization and the human resource management department was focused on prevention, do you think they would be as interested in developing you as, as, as a staff member? They just don't want you to get in trouble. Police force, firefighters, even military. Government's a great one. If, if you're sloppy in the process and you're not paying attention to details and you're really excited and giddy and, and zealous about this new candidate, but they didn't check that box that they have a green card, and you hire them, now the organization is in trouble. So the, these, are, these are important things to keep in mind. So in the past, to compare, the people would get hired by an organization and they would stay there for a really long time. They develop their own skills and abilities, demonstrate their value to the organization. The employer would offer creative training and development opportunities. They would commit themselves to the organization. The organization would commit themselves to them. This contract between employee and employer is not the same anymore, fortunately and unfortunately. A lot of times the employer wants you to figure out your own motivation. They want you to come up with your own goals and they want you to be encouraged and inspired to work in that organization. But if you didn't do that and the employer had to let you go, so be it. And it's sort of driven by our generation or the generation of younger workers contributes to that because we we get hired and we work somewhere for two, three years, and then what happens? How many of you think that you're going to work for a company and stay there for 10 years? No. How about one company for five years? Anybody in this room want to stay with one company for five years? One, two, three, four, some people. So nobody for 10 years, not everybody for five years. So some of you say, hey, I can work there for two years, three years, and then I'm moving on. This has been a theme that has been reoccurring, and therefore organizations say, hey, we're going to hire you. We'll train you, but we're not going to do certain things for you because we know that you're not going to stay here forever. And they're okay with that. They want, they don't care if you want to leave anymore. So the new contract aspirations, employability, personal responsibility, partner in business improvement, learning skill development from the employee, employers, creative development opportunities, lateral career moves, incentive compensations, challenging assignments, and information and resource decision, decision-making authority. But the old contract is job security, a cog in the machine, knowing Standard training programs, traditional compensation packages, routine jobs, and limited information and authority. Totally different than this new contract between employees and employers nowadays. So finding the right people. These are going to be some tactics and some tricks to finding the right people, which isn't always easy. So predict needs through human resource planning. Use recruiting procedures to communicate with potential applicants. Select the best candidate. Welcome the employee. So not, not every organization has company needs and company inducements that are the same. So every organization, just like every person, every individual, is crafted differently, they have a different culture, and they're looking for different types of employees. What are their strategic goals in the organization? What current and future competencies matter to them? What market changes are expected? How much employee turnover do they have? What is their corporate culture? Companies' needs. 
They would match up with employee contributions, their ability, education and experience, creativity, commitment, experience and knowledge. Sometimes creativity, the, all these factors, ability, ability can be low for certain companies and certain jobs. They're not that interested in it because they'll train on ability. But education experience has to be high because if their ability is low but their education experience is high, they think they can probably learn because they're smart versus they want your ability to be really high and they could care less about your education and experience. There's some organizations that are like that. So if I come and work for a company and I come in and I got a doctorate degree and I'm, I'm saying, man, I'm super smart. I could learn anything. And they say, well, hey, have you ever, have you ever dissected a frog before? And I say, no, I haven't. So well, I don't care how smart you are. If you haven't dissected frogs for the last two years and you're not somewhat of a novice or an intermediate frog dissector, we're not going to hire you. Say, Wait a minute, I got a doctorate degree. They say, I don't care. Come back after two or three years of frog dissecting. doesn't matter how much education I have. The, the difference, just because you have a particular skill does not necessarily mean, or a particular degree doesn't necessarily mean that company values that. In the educational environment, they actually pay you more based on your educational attainment. They value your, your knowledge more so than they value your, my ability to drive a motorcycle. <laughs> they don't care about that. But if I could drive a motorcycle and I could climb mountains and I, I rode on mountain bikes and I wanted to work in a as a and I wanted to work for a realtor company and that's just about adventure seeking it's about uh, willingness to make sales calls it's about uh, networking those things would be valued they want those things mountain biking motorcycle riding and what was the other one whatever the other one is that's cool stuff a doctorate degree they're like mm, how's that going to help us sell homes so you can see the difference between a corporate environment with education versus a sales environment. Company inducements, pay and benefits, meaningful work, advancement, training, and a challenge. These are things that, when, it, when it's an inducement, these are things that we as an organization can utilize and wield. They're arrows within our quiver to get good people. Hey, look at the benefits we have. Hey, look at the meaningful work you can do here. Look at the advancement opportunities. Someone said advancement opportunities and growth. Look at the challenge. Look at the training that we provide. Employee may say, hey, I'll tell you what, you know, if you're not paying me at least $100,000 a year, I'm at a point in my career, I'm not interested. But a recent college grad making $45,50, that sounds great. Or let's look at personal values. And so meaningful work. Is it important to me that I work for an organization that does something with a social cause, that cares about the environment, that wants to make sure that that orphans have a place to live. That's important to me, therefore that's great. But certain people may say, you know what? Social cause, I don't care. I just wanna work for a company that's gonna pay me and I wanna work with people that are kind. Whether we're you know, distributing toilet paper or whether we're saving the dolphins, it doesn't matter to me. Pay, kind people, that's about it. Company needs change, employee contributions change, company inducements change, employees needs change. So job description and job specification. We had a, a program in our organization where we had a lady come in and we, we hired a person with a disability. So it was a place called the Des Moyes Foundation. The Des Moyes Foundation finds people that have, so it's intellectual and developmental disabilities. And the person comes into our organization and she looks around and we say, we have a need within our company. And our need is that we need to make sure these cars are clean. And our need is that we need to make sure this rack system over here is organized. And she says, 
All right, I'll write down all of the specifications you need and I'll make sure I know what the company needs. Has nothing to do with the person. What does the company need? And then based on those specifications, she would go to her pool of people and she would find somebody who's a really good organizer and somebody that understands how to wash cars and has washed cars in the past. So she would match the job description, or sorry, the job specification to the person's capabilities. And then we would create a unique job description for the person and call it the organizing car washing advocate, whatever you want to look at. Or obviously we call it like the assistant facilities manager. But we didn't previously have that position available. We had a company need. And then based on the company need, we matched a person, we created a job description, and we hired a staff member. So I tell that story just to give you an understanding of the difference between specifications and job descriptions, and also how important they are. Because you don't want to just hire a person to do something just because you have a vacancy. Well, you know, we had three administrators, and we had one manager, and we had one salesperson. Well, we lost an administrator, so we need to hire another one. Really? Is that... Is that how you think as a manager? I mean, it could be how you think, and that could be the case. But let's make a case for what it is that we need that administrator to do, and then let's find out whether or not we actually need this person. And then if we actually need this person, then we'll go and hire them. Not just because somebody left, we need to replace them. So there's a, a little bit of a difference between job description, job specification, job analysis. That kind of pegs into job analysis a little bit. Virtual recruiting has been a big uptick. I'm sure you, you all have experienced that since COVID. There's the Enneagram. Has anyone heard the Enneagram? These are more personality tests. Actually, aptitude test is a little bit different, but let's talk about these personality tests. Wealth dynamics, there's an Enneagram. We'll talk about wealth dynamics for a second. It delineates between introverted people and extroverted people, and it talks about intuitive thinkers and sensory thinkers. Introverted people and extroverted people are typically good at different jobs. If I'm introverted, which would be like the finance department, the accounting department, yeah. uh, risk analysis, investment oh analysis, the um, researchers. Just because you're introverted does not mean that you don't like interacting with people. It just means that you're more inclined to, be, to enjoy time by yourself. That's completely understandable. Versus extroverted people are typically more inclined towards marketing, creativity. Uh, a lot of times they not necessarily creativity. Sales, business development, communications is a good one. Or human resources. I mean, a lot of times human resources tend to be uh, front-facing with people often. Unless you're an administrator or somebody that does a lot of work on a computer in, in human resources, which, which people do as well. So human resources is a department. Within a department, you got the director, the manager, and then you got the administrators. If you're just doing human resource administration, you're not dealing with a lot of the front-end stuff. You can be fine as being extrovert. But once you move up to manager, you're likely going to have to deal with people more. Get out onto the floor, see how people are doing. The point is, and we can walk through a lot of these different tests, it's the organization is trying to determine if, thank you for coming in, thank you for saying what you said, thank you for your resume, you interviewed great, but we're gonna take it an extra mile and we're gonna give you an assessment or some level of testing so we can really see whether or not that stuff is matching what we need here. That the, the score on this test is gonna determine whether or not you can be placed in this position. And the test, they're not, it's not an IQ test or like an SAT test. It's more of inclined towards the type of person they're trying to get here. So if you are managing a manufacturing plant and at the manufacturing plant, you are looking for a purchaser, somebody that is needing to purchase materials for the job. 
the purchaser, the, the people looking at the job description, look at the job. Yeah, I get to purchase stuff all day. That sounds awesome. They go in, they're smart, they get a great resume, then maybe they studied purchasing something in college, and they think they're going to be great for this job. But the reality is because the smart human resource people know that they've been managing and hiring purchasers for the last 30 years, they know that purchasers need these kinds of skills. And they need to be organized, they need to be diligent, they need to pay attention to details, they need to have good phone etiquette, they need to be able to use a proper English language. So the test that they're putting you through is going to be more interested in that kind of stuff. And it's not like you got it wrong, you just didn't do as well as they wanted to in those areas. So that's an aptitude test. Or the person coming in to get the job, they're not, they, they haven't owned this company and they haven't dealt with these issues for 30, 40, 50, maybe 150 years. They're not nearly as versatile in understanding what the needs of this position are. So the human resource management people are way more clear about what they need. And we're just coming in and just because we didn't get the job or just because the person didn't get the job doesn't mean that they're not smart. It doesn't mean they're not capable. It just means that job isn't right for them, but they should look somewhere else. They actually saved them a lot of time, energy, and effort because if they worked, they got hired and that they started doing it and they found out they didn't like it or it was, it was in their weakness zone as opposed to their strength zone, that's even worse. So we should thank them for putting us through the aptitude test. And we should always be as honest and straightforward and forthcoming on the aptitude test as possible. And one of the other pieces of advice that I would give if you interview, and this may be something other people give or don't give, is be yourself. Don't lie. Don't exaggerate. Don't, if you don't know an answer to a question, don't make it up. Tell them you don't know. Be yourself and be confident in who you are because number one is that they can tell. And number two is if you lie, cheat, and steal your way to the job, then you're going to be lying, cheating, and stealing your way during the job. And it's not the right thing. If you, if you are yourself, you're authentic, you're honest, and you're confident in the interview process, and you go on 15 interviews, the right team, the right company is going to hire you for who you are and your talent, and you're going to be more successful there. And it works both ways. Yeah. The employer shouldn't lie, cheat, and steal to get a person to come work for them. I say lie, cheat, and steal just so you understand. Be, be deceiving in the process of hiring. This is the time where the organization should be as honest as possible and the employee and the potential employee should be as honest as possible too. And if the organization talks about, hey, this is a great place to work, but here are some things that might be stressful. Here are some things that we found can be difficult. And, and are honest about that. They want to almost scare away the person so that they say, oh, really? No, that's not good. Then the person leaves. And that's fine. Because the next person says, you know, I understand that. My last company did the same thing and it didn't bother me too much. That person would be a better candidate. It's okay to ask about national origin, the applicant's name, if the applicant has ever worked under a different name. Can we ask about race? No, not at all. It's inappropriate or illegal to ask, what's your, what's your race or your color of skin? Where, where are you from? What nationality are you? You shouldn't ask that. The origin of the applicant's name, like if you have a last name that could potentially be from Afghanistan or Korea or China or Latin America. And, and for, for me to say, oh, well, where's the origin of the last name? Inappropriate. Disabilities. This is okay to ask. Does the applicant require any accommodations to perform the job? That's okay. You cannot ask if the applicant has any physical or mental defects. If the applicant has ever filed a worker's compensation claim, do not ask that. Age. If the applicant is older than age 18, that's all you can ask. Are you older than 18 years old? That's okay. But you can't say how old are you. And so are you in your 50s? Can't say that. Applicants a specific age can't ask. 
When the applicant graduated from high school, can't ask that either. Religion, can ask nothing about religion, ask nothing about criminal record, come on. Ask nothing about marital families or say you can't ask if they're married, you can't ask if they have kids. I mean, you can't learn anything about them. <laughs> so, but this is the way it is. What's inappropriate to ask is the applicant's religious affiliation, what religious holidays the applicant observes, if the applicant has ever been arrested, you cannot ask if the applicant has ever been convicted of a crime, you cannot ask if the applicant is married, you cannot ask if they have kids, you cannot ask if they have child care arrangements to come to work. Education and experience, where the applicant went to school is okay to ask. Prior work experience is okay to ask. Citizenship, if the applicant, like Mary Angel was saying, has a legal right to work in the United States. Yes or no? Do you or do you not? You cannot ask if the applicant is a citizen of another country. Those are our guides. And what that was meant to do was to help an employer not get in trouble, that preventative thing. This is where, one of the reasons why I spent time to read those questions, if you find yourself confused as to why I can't ask that, or if you're not that attention to detail, or if you're not as preventative and you're more abundance-like and you're more looking for goals and trying to set ambitious goals, sometimes human resource is a tough environment to work in. Where do job candidates need improvement? This was a survey they sent out. They said the number one thing we want in our job candidates, what I, which I talked about here before, is confidence. That's not easy to develop. It comes with experience. The best thing I can tell you if you're walking into a prospective job, if you're walking into a prospective client, whatever it is, is to go in there and say to yourself, hey, if this does not work out, I will be fine. If this does not work out, if this door shuts, there is something else out there for me. This is going to teach me something. This is actually the key thing that, that helps me. Whether this goes one way or another way, I'm gonna learn and grow from this experience. Going on an interview obviously increases your capacity to go on other interviews. So that's the confidence that we have, is I got an interview. Come on there, sit down. How you doing? Nice to see you, nice to be here. Oh, you don't wanna hire me? Ah, oh, that hurts, you know, it's tough. But I understand. Do you know anyone else that's hiring? <laughs> Would you happen to have another company that might be interested in hiring me? Okay, no, all right, that's great, no problem. Nice talking to you, nice meeting you. Can I have your business card? You send them some follow-up emails. You say, hey, you know, I'm sorry it didn't work out, but so nice meeting you, by the way. Do you know anyone, again, that wants to hire me? And you move on with your day. You go to the next one. Say, hey, how you doing? Sit down. You keep doing that. Confidence, communication, experience, knowledge, time management, delegating, works too much is actually a bad thing. Further education certification, which is down on the list. Handling stress, attention to detail. One of the things that I emphasize, learning something from coming here is why you should be here. And one of the things I want you to learn is how do I become a better staff member to add more value to my organization or enterprise? Unique opportunities you might have within your career to jump onto a task force or a specialty team to go and do a new initiative within an organization. Here's some skill sets that employers want. Education is down on the list. But here are some ways in which you can add value to the organization as managers, as leaders, as employees. That is so much more important. Take it from a, a guy who's got a doctor degree. People don't care about my degree. Once I sit down, I'm in the room, I'm on the same level as them. I made it to the meeting. What they care about now is can I add value to them? Do I actually know what I'm talking about? And do I have enough confidence to apply what I know? That's it. Education gets you in the meeting. Once you're in the meeting, you got to figure out how to do it. <laughs> you got to figure out how to make it work. There is a gentleman that I listen to on podcasts. His name is James Altucher. And his daughter was graduating from high school and had pretty good grades and applied to Duke and 
uh, Lehigh University and Villanova and a bunch of schools in the Northeast, good schools, 10 schools, got into none of them, zero. Very disappointed, upset, what the heck. And her dad, who I admire because I think he's a great, smart guy, he said, listen, for the next year, I want you to take the year off and focus on a particular talent or skill. And I want you to pick up something, whether it's downhill skiing, race car driving, or going into the forest and, and gathering different species of trees or plants, whatever it is. Something unique and different that you can become an expert on and say that you did this. So she chose the race car driving path. She's an 18-year-old female that became a race car driver. She perfected the skill and she competed in races for 21 and younger. And she did pretty well. And she put that on all of her applications a year later. And she was accepted to, I think it was seven out of 10, same schools that she had applied to before. Seven of them said you could come in. And she ended up going to Duke. But the purpose of that is to differentiate yourself. Do something more creative. Be different. I'm not saying jump in there and tell them about that weird time in grade school where you, you know, kissed a bird or something weird. And that's not differentiating. That's weird. Pursuing something that derives additional conversation or creates some sort of interest is a good thing. So what is that about you today? That if you walked into that conversation, that you knew that, hey, I'm smart, I'm confident, I can do the job. So what is that one thing that you think is your personal interest or personal hobby that would put you in a differentiated path in that interview? Just think about it. And whatever that one thing is, that's okay to talk about. And it's okay to reinforce that. And it's okay to tie that into the conversation. So now that we have the people in the organization, we've successfully created a need for our company. We've, we've have a plan of the future of employment here. We know that we're going to need five employees and they're going to need these skills and here are the job descriptions. We understand how it fits into the intent of the, intent of the company. We've brought them in and now they're working. Great. Congratulations. We've made it through two of the three stages in HRMs. Now we want to know performance appraisal and feedback. 360 degree feedback is a really cool, unique way of analyzing something. 360 degree means his leader and his subordinate are going to fill out the same questionnaire based on his skill set. And then his coworkers, so the people who are on the same level as him, his boss and his subordinate are going to fill out the paperwork. So I'm going to get it from the angle of my boss, which I've been treating my boss differently because he's my boss. I'm going to make sure that my boss knows that I'm doing a good job, right? But am I treating the subordinate that I manage the same way? Or how about my coworkers? Am I kind and friendly towards them? If they ask me to help them and, and do them a favor, am I okay with that? Or am I strictly there to make my boss happy? And I don't care about anyone else. A 360 degree feedback is gonna reveal that. So there's performance-based, and then there's behavior-based. Performance-based is usually numeric. Behavior-based is kind of what I just talked about. Are we treating people well? And performance-based is are we hitting our numbers? Are we putting out the TPS reports? How many days sick did we have in the last six months? Those are quantitative, objective, measurable performance outcomes versus behavioral outcomes. Is he nice to work with? Is he a good guy? You know, does he care about the organization? Is, are his values in line with some of our values? That if you had an opportunity to be a part of a 360 degree feedback, I hope you do it. I know it's sort of could be nerve wracking and it might reveal things about you that you kind of knew, but you didn't want anyone to tell you or that you may, you may read something that could offend you. 
and hurt your feelings. But I, I think there's growth in that. I think that that's great. And I think if you have 15 people and you get the same thing from three or four people, you know a blind spot now, an area you need to work on. And that's a invaluable in your career, invaluable. And it's anonymous too, so you don't know who did it. So I hope you lean into those experiences if you have them. So if you work for a company for 90 days, typically, what they'll do is they'll bring you in and say, here's how you're doing, you know, here's where you can improve, here's some goals we think you should work on. And it's, it's usually a collaborative process. You set the goals together, you're honest and open. Performance reviews are a big part of managing people. My wife, I bring her up in the next example because she works with Baptist and she's got this big company that does a good job with something called employee engagement. These review processes for employee engagement are important. So she, in the beginning of the year, will set her own goal. She'll spend two hours on this, talking about what she wants to do, how she wants to do it, the growth prospects for her, her future ambitions for advancement. And then halfway through the year, she sits with her boss and they go over it together. How are we doing? Here's some things I recommend. If you really want this, then you should do this. Or you're struggling here. I don't think you're doing a good enough job to attain some of these goals. Here's why. Here's what you need to improve on. So those are performance reviews. And then there's these other things called performance improvement plans, PIPs. So PIPs are usually done reactively to poor performance. So it's typically your boss coming to you and putting you on a performance improvement plan. It is not doing well in her job. And she is now confronted by her manager. And her manager sits down and says, hey, listen, I got some issues, heard some complaints, we need to work on these things. And you now have 30 days to improve. And if I notice these things are still happening, at the end of 30 days, we gotta let you go. And that's a tough conversation. As managers, you're gonna have to have it with your subordinates. And certainly as an employee, if it happens to you, you need to know that number one, the, the employer doesn't hate you. You're not being discriminated against unless you are, I don't know what. Likely, they're giving you feedback that you need to pay attention to so that you can improve. The old approach is annual meeting on performance. The new approach is continuous feedback. The old approach is annual goals, now it's shorter term goals. The old approach is single element assessment, now it's multi-dimensional, like the 360 degree feedback. The old approach is subjective opinions, now it's objective data of how am I doing. The old approach is individuals work. The new approach is work on multiple cross-functional teams. So there's multiple different types of people that come together on a team to do a specific project, sort of like a task force and with those different perspectives. So now that's happening more often. So you're not just working for one boss or for one team. You're working on a couple different teams. So each, at the end, say the end of a, an engagement, say you're, you're doing a project and you're opening up a new facility. And after you open up that new facility, your work is complete. So then they do the feedback. Then they do the performance thing. But you may open up four facilities, five facilities a year. Next year, you may only open up one. So each time you're done a project, that's when you get evaluated. Focus on work activity was the old approach. New approach is focusing on developing new skills. One of the facts that I want to bring up about diversity and inclusion, if I'm the leader in an organization, the science has demonstrated that the more diverse my team is, the better we are at solving problems. And it's scientifically proven because the perspectives are different. Individual behavior talk about perspective. How, what, what information am I selecting? How am I evaluating that information? And then how am I using that information to make decisions? That's my perception of what's going on. If we're all the same person, you know, I'm doing the same thing all the time with the same people. I don't have fresh perspectives. We're all from New York and we all like pizza. We all go to the Mets game together on Friday nights. Doesn't that seem like a great team? 
Where do you have a chaotic international relations thing project that you have to work on? Having a diverse team adds performance to that team. That is a scientific fact. And seeing that and understanding that, that a person disagreeing with me or a person that has a different perspective is a good thing on a team. is something that takes maturity, emotional maturity, whatever that looks like. So in the past, traditional is age, race, gender, pay level, disability, and lifestyle. That was diversity. Now, inclusive work environments are race, parents, gender, language, lifestyle, work style, pay level, military experience, function, position, competency, nationality, income, and personality. They're looking at all of these things much more so than they have in the past. A person that's blind, think about it. It might be an inconvenience to work with them for a while, but their, their ability to communicate is probably really good over the phone. It's probably, they probably have a different level of wisdom in meetings because they're not distracted by what people look like. Think about the interviewing process. We talk about blind interview. What if you just had a blind guy inter interview people? He doesn't know what they look like, but he says to you, I don't know what the, that guy was, he's 500 pounds overweight, but Man, I tell you what, he's freaking smart because he heard what he said. He didn't, he wasn't distracted by, so I'm kind of getting off into the point, but looking at disability, looking at a gender, um, they, typically we have males in this leadership position, but we, you know, having a female, wow, what could that do for us? What kind of benefits could that be? Uh, typically we, we like to work with people from Latin America, but what if we hired somebody from, uh, from England? What if we hired somebody from Germany, Czechoslovakia? You know, yeah, they got an accent, but I think they can add some value to our team. Do we really think about that kind of stuff? Or are we stereotyping and unnaturally biasing people just because, wait, you want to be a truck driver? That's a man job. It's not, women don't do that. Oh, yes, they do. And some of them are dang good truck drivers. My wife is very smart. Women are better leaders than men for a slew of different reasons. And a lot of it, especially in the workplaces that we have now, is because of their, their ability to be more nurturing and, and listeners, they're better listeners, uh, they're capable of, they're not, they don't conform as easily, apparently according to these studies, willing to, to say what they want and what they need, and, and those are characteristics in leaders. Create a diverse team. Find people and friends that are different. Surround yourself by, by people that do not agree with your opinion and learn from them. That's only gonna make you better as a leader and as a manager.